You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Real Vision Daily Briefing, live without a net with Tom Thornton. Tom, welcome to Real Vision. Ash, thanks for having me back. It's great to have you here. I think this is our first live Real Vision Daily Briefing together. Really excited about this. Uh, tell us what's on your mind, and it's kind of like, is it fair to say, somewhat sleepy day in markets? Yeah, it was really sort of boring. It was like one of the most painful down 21 bips on the S&P day I've ever seen. It's just, I mean, boy. It was tough. Wait, hold on. I got to turn something down here. Uh, I will say that uh, this market is sort of status quo right now. Uh, stocks are in this range. Bonds are bid, I think, probably because the stimulus is coming in a little bit, on, maybe a little lighter than expected. Uh, commodities, you see you have gold acting okay. It's sort of Drifting higher, I'm long a little gold. Uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, something I mentioned with Ed last time I was on, I was shorting and nobody wanted to short it and they're, they're doing great. Uh, what else is going on here? We've got uh, the consensus dollar continues to be weak. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, it's, it's really kind of a boring, a boring market right now. There's no real catalyst. Treasury is catching a bid here today. Yeah, a little. Not helping um, some of the financials. I thought the financials might have a little bit of a bid uh, this week, but uh, no, it yields rates rates are a little lower, and financials sort of faded here. Yeah, XLF is, uh, I think, the uh, down second most of any of the uh, spider select sectors uh, off one uh, percent uh, on the day on XLF today. Yeah, and you know, tech is is getting a little bit of a relative bid over the last uh, week, partly because yields and you know we've seen the ten year drift under one sixty, and so I think there um, people are feeling like okay, fine, uh, the reopening trade is a little stale, maybe stalling out, and they're going back to the growth uh, dependable, uh, big buyback type. Ideas like tech, and and so you've seen Apple, Microsoft, uh, Google, Facebook. I mean, for no particular reason. I mean, you you actually have a real potential negative catalyst with Apple and their their lawsuit that's going on right now. Yeah. So we agree it's kind of a drowsy day. Let's talk about the bigger picture, the reopening trade. How do you think about this uh, more structurally? How do you think about this in a slightly longer term context? I know you have some insights here. Give us a bit of a sense of how you think. Uh, about what's happening on the reopening? Well, if you look at a lot of the stocks that would be the natural beneficiaries of a reopening, you, you look at retail, hotels, airlines, casinos, what else? Uh, I, had, I wrote down a few others uh, on here. Restaurants. A lot of them have peaked. Maybe... Uh, Maybe a month or two months ago, and they've they've made lower highs, and I think a lot of them got 
well, well above their valuation levels that really made sense. Now, look, I think a lot of people are are vaccinated. I saw a thing today that 50% of the country is vaccinated. Uh, I got my vaccination. I feel very comfortable cruising around. I know that there's still a lot of people that are nervous and they still wear their mask and, and that's all their, their, their choice. But look, I feel completely like we are reopened. I'm going to restaurants. I'm traveling this weekend. And it may be sort of like we're, we're, we've baked it in and it's as good as it gets for earnings. And, and I think it's, um, it's starting to fade a little bit. Yeah, this is so many interesting points that you bring up there, Tom. So on the one hand, you have this kind of weird sort of individual matrix of how people are reengaging with the reopening. Obviously, this is something highly personal. Some people have health problems, perfectly understandable why they'd want to stay in. Uh, other people, young, uh, relatively healthy, and they're out doing their thing and, and how that kind of plays out. But the point that you made earlier uh, about how uh, the U.S. equities the reopening stocks have responded to it. Maybe they got a little bit overbid uh, as this as this sort of went through. And that's a great question. Is this kind of as good as it gets? To quote the movie. Well, I hope not. I'd like to see you know things you know continue and and not necessarily stall out right away. I do have the. I look at the Goldman Sachs uh, factor baskets, and they have one that is um, comprised of reopening typical reopening stocks. And I, I was looking at it today, and it's been going sideways. And we're on day 12 of 13 with an upside DeMarc uh, sequential exhaustion signal. So we've got maybe a day or two more, and then we'll see if that uh, will get a reaction, which typically happens after a 13, around 10 days after, or within 10 days after. Yeah. So you say you hope not, but what, is your, uh, what does your uh, logic tell you? I think the market's overbought. I think it's running out of steam. There's been a lot of people out there uh, commenting. Uh, Doug Cass was one of them talking about low volume, and he thought that was a concern. You know, if you look back at all the, the big gains in the market, and you go back to even late March when the market ripped, the volume went down every single day. And I think it's just a matter of sellers just are holding on. They're, they they're not motivated to sell. When things are going up, you don't sell. You just sit tight. And you find fewer people as it goes up that are willing to pay up or chase higher. And, and that's the fallacy of the volume issue. I, I also will say that uh, sellers always sell lower. And they get more motivated when they start to see, let's say, a five-day rolling average of their stock or ETF or whatever start to turn negative, but more likely when after a month, something turns negative. And, and that's the hard thing for a lot of buyers because they, they get stuck in these things and they think, oh God, it's going down. And they always sell lower. I mean, I, I can tell you sitting on an institutional hedge fund desk in the old days, I remember someone from JP Morgan would call me and say, oh yeah, my, my, my seller is, is a little higher. He, he's not going to sell to you. It's, I'm like, okay, I'll just wait. They always sell lower. Oh, people always sell lower. It's very hard to get people to sell, uh, especially uh, at these levels here. There's no reason. There's no catalyst. It's a boring market. Uh, enough said, right? Oops. Yeah. Talking of things, uh, Tommy, that are not boring, we've got questions pouring in. Uh, and one of the first questions 
uh, coming in comes to us from Tom. Tom, uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on the crypto bounce back? Didn't seem to be any break, any uh, break in any systems. Uh, stress test seems to have gone well. Oh, okay, these are two different questions. I think he's talking about uh, he's talking about capital markets on the second part. But let's focus on the first point here. Uh, what's going on in crypto markets? Talking about things that are a no one's view of boring. Well, I first of all, I don't trade crypto. Uh, I do analysis on the charts with crypto, and I will say part of the reason I don't do that is I don't find an edge for myself. Uh, and I also will say that I enjoy my weekends. And I like when markets are closed. I like when things uh, don't move. And it's just too much risk for me. Uh, and, you know, the risk reward is, is enormous. And, you know, more power to the people that, that rocked it on the way up. I'm thrilled. I mean, you're a prime example. You know, so many people that have done so well in crypto. The thing that I'm looking at it with, with, with crypto and let's say Bitcoin and in particular, you know, I've had a bunch of DeMarc signals, uh, daily exhaustion signals trigger on the way up, and we get a 10% pullback or a 20% pullback. And, you know, the, 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 the skeptics will say, yeah, but that's just a good time to buy. And I'll agree. Yeah, it's a good time to buy. Uh, but those signals actually worked. And if you just sat there and, and you just stayed long, you'd have done great. But it's that one signal that when you combine it with a daily and a weekly that really makes a more intermediate top. And we had a signal at the top. And you know, I, I said, look, I, I just I think we're coming to a top here. And I've been wrong on this a few times and the signals haven't worked, but you know, I thought, okay, we're gonna get a we're gonna get a pullback. I didn't expect to see, you know, basic Bitcoin get, you know, cut in half and you know, right. I read these stories of people a hundred times levered. It was going around today that, that got washed out. And you know, the one thing I will say, and, and I, I really have a lot of respect for Raul and and what he's you know brought in with all the crypto people on on Real Vision. And I, I'm fascinated by everything. But he tweeted out uh, some things today that I thought were really, I 100% agreed. You had a 50% pullback and. Nothing really blew up. There was no systemic blow up. There was no need for the Fed. There was no need, uh, no brokers. I mean, I they might have closed for an hour or two, but nobody really defaulted or went out of business. And 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 that I think is a, a testament to the what Bitcoin is all about. So, look, I congratulate everybody. I think it's like, oh wow, it's you know held on with this. But you know, I, I don't think the volatility is done. I think you're going to have just incredible volatility. Um, you know, at the lows. Let's see. I think we're on day ten of thirteen with a downside uh, exhaustion, and so when we get that thirteen on the downside, we'd have to make probably get closer to the thirty thousand level, maybe even surpass it. And then we'll get a buy signal, and then we want to wait for a reversal, which typically is a four-day making a four-day high, and a four-day high could be up, you know, forty percent. So, um, you know, it's it's sometimes good to even break it down into a shorter-term chart, like a sixty-minute chart, and when you see a reversal there, you know, you you can buy it. But it, it's 
definitely a fascinating market and you know i hope uh i hope everybody's you know trading around it not going crazy with leverage which is something raul mentioned as well i mean leverage is great on the way up but on the way down it's game over real quick so i i just that's you know every disaster in the market has always been something regarding leverage i mean bill wang and and archegos was a prime example yeah, absolutely. And it's not just true on the uh, sort of systemic level. It's also true for individuals. Uh, if you're trading at 100 to 1 leverage, it's not hard to understand how you can get washed out of a trade. Um, and when you're levered up at that ratio, it's it's you know it's it's kind of nuts, particularly for retail investors uh, who may not have a lot of experience, uh, who think that they're going to get some kind of an edge. Uh, leverage giveth and then leverage hammereth away, uh, and you can find yourself totally washed out of the position. Yeah, the, to think about if you have a ten percent pullback with <laughs> ten times leverage, it's it's you're basically going to be done pretty quick. Yeah, a hundred times leverage, you're you're just almost like the bid ask in a in the spread, like a half hour spread in in Bitcoin, um, the way it trades. So it, it just it makes no yeah. sense, and it makes no sense that the any broker or would or exchange would allow that for especially with a retail uh, retail account yeah totally agree and at a one percent correction you're basically roasted right i mean you're one percent you know. I, mean, I, I we've been on the you know i could watch bitcoin here one percent you know ten times right. um in the this this half hour you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Tom, I have to say, one of the things I really respect about you is your intellectual integrity, your intellectual honesty. There are so few people who have decades of background. Uh, in capital markets who are like open and curious to it. It's usually like a binary proposition, right? Either people go all in on crypto or they're like, it's terrible, it's a scam, it's going to be the end of markets as we know it, and they just want nothing to do with it. I, I just so appreciate and respect your position where you say, hey, listen, I'm watching this, I'm, I'm looking for an edge, don't see one yet, um, but the people who have done well, that's great for them. It's such you a know, rare thing here. You know, the, the thing is, I, I, and I was kind of making fun of it uh, on Twitter, uh, last week, and uh, somebody called me out on it, and and I I I, I hit him on DM, and I said, look, I, I I'm just essentially kidding, and um, you know, no offense, but you know, I, I make fun of myself when I'm wrong all the time. Yes, and it, you know that's part of the game, you know, and I try to keep things light and not take it too serious. I I always have a managed position sizing and. I don't get over my skis. I don't really need to use leverage. I do occasionally, but you know, simply, um, you know, it's it's this this is a business that can uh, humble you very very fast. Uh, can also, you know, blind you. And I I, I remember I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Ash, but I, I was at a Real Vision blacklist event a, a, over a year ago. And yeah, it was over easily over a year ago before COVID. And there are all these eclectic people that Real Vision brings in. I mean, really eclectic. I mean, just random. But they're all 
super cool and they all have really cool cool stories and i remember meeting this one guy and he was i think in the, he was in the military and he was telling me it was in his 20s late 20s and and he he said uh yeah i i did pretty well in bitcoin and he i said well tell me about it and he said he said well i bought $10,000 worth really early on, like 2010 or 11. And then the Mount Gox thing blew up and he lost all of his money. Mm. And I was like, and then he's like, and then I had 30, you know, once all that ended and I I learned more, I put $30,000, my entire life savings into Bitcoin. And, and I said, wow, you know, and it was like, you know, it had already peaked, uh, you know, 17,000 or whatever. But he, he said to me, I, I actually, I asked him, I go, so how was that? You know, how was it when it was going up? Because I've never been more stressed out in my life watching this go up and seeing my net worth go up into the zillions. I mean, he, he was, it's stressful on the way up and, you know, obviously on the way down. But he told me, he said, I, I got out in the near the highs in November and December of, I think it was 2017. And he hadn't gone back in. I don't know. You know, I haven't seen him since or heard from him. But I, it's it's hard. You know, it's hard being in something that's that's working. Just as uh, you know, when in 2008, my firm, the hedge fund I worked for, the financials uh, team were short a billion dollars worth of financial garbage, and it was working. But it was incredibly, incredibly stressful watching everything go down. I mean, it sounds like counterintuitive, but it's hard because you're, you're like, okay, I've got these gains, but do I want to sell it or do I cover, you know, what do I want to do? And it, it, it's, it's hard. My, my advice is to, and, and this is what maybe some people will learn from this massive crash. It is a massive crash. Uh, take some off, trade around it, don't be so stubborn to say I've got to hold on to this because it's going to a million. And if it goes to a million and you've got enough and you've taken gains off and you diversify, you'll be okay. You don't need to have all your eggs in one basket. It's hard. It's hard to do. And and even the best investors in the world will tell you 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 can't do that. Yeah. And this is one of the things that Real Vision that I I really love that we do, which is it's not just that we're covering uh, these digital assets, although of course we are, but we're covering them as a macro asset class. And we're bringing people in such as yourself who have this life experience, this investing experience, this trading experience that's broadly relevant to talk about things like managing your positions, thinking about sizing, thinking about hedging, diversification, uh, at what point you take some off the table. These are things that are valid in traditional capital markets, their value for macro traders, and they're valid, uh, obviously, uh, for people who are playing in the digital asset spaces as they're learning. And I, I sometimes fear that there aren't enough people uh, like Tom Thornton in these markets to provide that context, to provide that understanding, to provide that life experience about how markets and investing work. Well, I can tell you that uh, I made lots of mistakes uh, early in my career, and I tried to learn from those mistakes and to not make those same mistakes again. And, you know, in my where I really did great. Well, we're, you know, in the nineties and I was just a tech bull. And I, I, I'll tell you this back in 1998 in the, the fall with the long-term capital smash. Yeah. 
I had been I I had been watching the markets go up and it was going up on very few stocks. It was just this narrow, they called it closet indexing type of move. And then everything fell apart and I had a boatload of cash and I put a ton. I, I think I put maybe a third of everything I had, which was a which was a big number. well, I don't know, it was a decent number into tech leaps. And all my technical indicators, you know, the bullish percent on the NASDAQ was at zero. If anybody follows the bullish percent index uh, with point and figure, it was at zero. So I started buying leaps in nine, late 1998. For, for people who don't tell them a little bit about what leaps are. It's just, it's just a longer term um, option, longer, longer term call option that I was buying over a year out. And it, it, I was really surprised at that time that it was. These were not that expensive. You think that, you know, when volatility goes up like that, that these would be expensive. But I got, I worked for Morgan Stanley at the time, and I had uh, the head of compliance call me. And I had to go down and, you know, sit in the office and say, you know, they were like, what the hell are you doing? Um, I said, you know, don't worry about it. And they're like, well, you know, put some money into other things I got. I have, you know, this is a third of my portfolio. And I said, if, if, if I lose money in this and I underperform the market or any Morgan Stanley fund or whatever, I'll, I'll give, I'll put all my money in all the funds. And it ended up, it ended up really working out well in my favor, but you know, it's just, I, I, I could have really gotten murdered in that. And I, I did get out of a lot of stuff in 2000. Uh, before and it wasn't necessarily because of some fortuitous call. I, I actually had left Morgan Stanley. I went to work for a hedge fund. I was a head trader of a new hedge fund, and so I had to. I couldn't be trading my own portfolio, so I was diversifying out. I was building a house. I just had a, you know, I was. Uh, I just had a baby with my wife, and so we were just like, okay, we got to cash out, and it was killing me too. It was killing me. I was like, no, you know. Xilinx is going to go to like 300, you know, it, it was basically peaking that week <laughs> and everything started to blow up and I stayed in cash and, um, I watched the, the, the tech market really get, get hammered and, and, you know, go back and look at diversification and go back to being saying, Oh man, if I bought Amazon on the, the day of the IPO or the, I bought it at the peak of the first month, uh, it was down 50% within a month. And then it went up, you know, chopped around, but then it went up 6,300%. Amazing, right? And if you held on to it, the next year it was down 93%. Now, if, if, that's like saying, you know, Bitcoin goes from 6,500 or wherever it was down to, you know, 500 or, you know, lower. And that would be like, I, I mean, you regurgitate and have the, the fear of what the hell was I doing, um, regret your whole life. So you gotta, you gotta move things around. And in my old, the old, the old hedge fund I worked for, you know, we'd have a core position, we'd trade around it, you know, we'd get around it. We, we, you know, we, we like it, we buy some, um, we sell some a little higher, backs off, buy more, move it around. And you can make money that way. And you're, constantly moving. I just think that, you know, the, the, the buy and hold and, and hope is a very, very difficult thing, especially right now with this market 
so high. I mean, it's it's these these markets don't continue like this forever. Yeah, we should say since we're live here uh, right now, the last uh, trade I got on Bitcoin looks like thirty seven thousand six oh eight. Um, and uh, you know, to put that in context, the high there about sixty. 3,000. Speaking of context, and I don't want to go too deep in the weeds with Bitcoin because we've already talked about it so much, uh, but Rect Capital was out uh, in the newsletter uh, talking about the sell-off uh, a few days ago. And here's an interesting statistic that I think is something that's worth bearing in mind. Uh, the, the statistic is that in 2017, of course, this is a great year, uh, a Bitcoin bull market, massively so in all of crypto. Uh, and there were five major retracements uh, and uh, those retracements were between 30 and 40% losses. Uh, so here we are down uh, maybe a little bit more than that right now uh, from peak. But again, highly, highly volatile markets. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's this, you know, the, 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 what I see with a lot of the, the, the newer traders and, and a lot of the Bitcoin traders is the whole, you, you can never sell, sell, you have to have diamond hands and all that. You know, that's the dumbest thing you can ever, ever think, uh, because th that gives you this false sense of security that, that, you know, stocks always go up and or Bitcoin always goes up. And it, and it may, it may go to a million and you can regret it and say, you know, I just made 5,000 um, percent. I took some off and you can always buy it back. You know, if you get the momentum moving, you know, I saw Novogratz on TV and he's like, you know, the, the, and, and I like I like Mike a lot. And he said, you know, I think that you're going to see the momentum come back and we're going to be back over by 5,500 or 55,000. And, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see a higher price later in the year. Maybe he's right. But the bottom line is you can always buy it back when the wind gets in the sale. And that's called momentum. Right. And once again, we've said it before, we'll say it again, uh, position sizing, diversification. Uh, these are absolutely critical points for people. And I'm not sure that uh, that a lot of uh, folks who have gotten exposure to this have had the benefit of understanding some of those things because they haven't been uh, in these markets and seen the cycles the way that, uh, that you have, for sure. So I'm looking at Oh God! Somebody calls. I'm looking at the comments and hey, comments. Somebody calls me bombastic. I mean, I, I, do I seem bombastic? I would say you were the opposite of bombastic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I take that as a compliment. Thank you. I would say I would uh, say one of your greatest strengths, Tommy, in the way you look at this is you have a radical humility in the way that you look at markets and the way that you view your own choices, your own decisions, and your own strategies. Radical humility. So I've worked for. A, a pretty high-level portfolio manager, the founder of our old hedge fund, and this guy was as he was rough, brash, such an awesome risk taker. He could just, you know, he'd be sitting there after hours eating popcorn and say, you know, sell 500 Qs, and you know, he'd want it within 10 cents. You know, I'm not talking 500 shares. I'm talking 500,000, and you know. I had this, you know, I, I used to race bikes and I have this low heart rate. And so he kind of liked that. Like I was always very calm. Uh, there was times where, you know, I, I, you know, I, I bought 500,000 shares instead of selling 500,000 shares. I mean, that's another story, but, uh, yeah, I try to keep things light. I try to laugh a little bit. Um, you know, during the day when it gets slow, I try to move away from trading 
Uh, that's usually when it's the churn time. I watch Real Vision. I watch other YouTube things. I watch sports. I try to get a little further away from the boringness in the markets. So that's kind of the, the, the edge. You have to have sort of the downtime. And that, that helps me. That helps me. So I'm looking at some questions here. Yeah, we should jump in. Well, let's, let's look at it. Let's jump in. Um, I've got some questions here um, coming to us uh, from Gabrielle, uh, who's putting these through from the Real Vision side. By the way, real quick uh, story for you, Tom. I remember when I was in a young guy on Wall Street, and uh, one of my friends who was exactly my age, we'd gone to high school together, actually, and and I saw him, and he was just completely pale, like white as a ghost, like looked absolutely terrible. And I was afraid he had some kind of like a family emergency or something. What happened? I bought I bought a hundred contracts instead of a hundred shares on a futures deal deal, and he was. I mean, I thought he was he was going to. Uh, I thought he was going to need to be hospitalized. It, eventually, the trade worked out for him. Fun story. I think he still runs that desk that we worked on together. So it worked out okay in the end. But listen, that's the story. Gaining this experience uh, and understanding these things often comes through mistakes. Um, Here's one getting back to the questions that comes to us from Prius Omega, one of our regular viewers. Uh, thoughts on Apple and Tesla. Both of them are technically uh, at critical levels right now in the 200-day moving average. And if you would, also, Tommy, thoughts on Amazon. Prius Omega. Okay. Well, let's start uh, with Apple. Um, it's just a money printer. And I, I'm actually short right now. Uh, just because it, this is the time when the stock tends to just stall out a bit after their April earnings. And look, they had just blowout earnings. The one thing that kind of sticks at me is that they didn't give guidance. Uh, they, they withheld guidance again. And I, I, I tend to think that the strength that Apple's had over the last year just gotten a little over overdone. And I think it's more of a market call. Uh, that I think it could drift down. And if it breaks 120 with some authority or sticks under 120, I think we've got some problems here. So it'll probably, it, you know, I'd love to see it go, you know, a bit lower. And and I like, look, look, I went on Real Vision. I remember back, you know, March of 2020, and I said, yeah, buy quality, buy everything you can and, and all the best quality stocks that you've never thought you could. And Apple was my main stock. And okay, so. What are the indicators that you see that it's overbought? Um, you know, sometimes I look, you know, the basic stuff, sometimes I look at like weekly RSIs, uh, the longer term out there. And 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 I use the daily and I, I, of course, I use the mark indicators. And again, they're a money printer. They, they're buying back gobs of stock. Uh, it's a very tough st uh, stock to short, but it can work. And it's actually... As much as people think, oh, that's a terrible short idea, sometimes it's really a bad short idea when it's obviously a short. So mm. that leads me to Tesla. So I, um, I, I've had a long history playing around with Tesla. On the short side, uh, one of the nice things is I stopped myself out last year. Uh, I think my, I think my cost was like split adjusted like one twenty five. And I got out at 200, which was like a thousand, or, and then it went up, you know, five x, and it was just, you know, a crazy gamma squeeze. Um, I, I have a bit of fundamental views on that. It's not just all technical, but I will say the technical. If you look at a weekly chart, 
it's just sitting here at this this 600 550 to 600 level and my view is that that it, it's running out of support and you've seen the gamma squeeze we saw one yesterday one thing that's kind of weird and I, I put this in my note today one of my derivative traders who I uh, who will remain nameless um, he's sort of a conspiracy theorist as well he looked at the Tesla weekly options and what's really been happening is you see these these enormous uh, buys of out of the money weekly options so they're buying they're buying tons of uh, out of the money options maybe I mean I think they were buying the 610s the 630s yesterday and then it was in the 500s and then they're selling uh, puts out of the money puts but what's interesting is that the open interest is not growing so I, my my guy thinks that they are buying and selling the same contract maybe with different brokers and they have a prime broker that connects them all and when and when you do that intraday like that a lot of times they cancel out and you don't have to file or there's no it's 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 almost a, a non-event. And you know, this has been something that we've talked about with these gamma squeezes. So my view is that that game might just end abruptly. And I think Tesla's in stress mode right now. They they've got um, of course they've got Bitcoin and who knows if I it's probably near or maybe below their their purchase price. And if that happens, they've got an impairment, and they're going to take a loss. And you know that's why I always thought, what, mm. what institution or a corporation really wants that type of volatility with their currency? Because, I mean, I, you know, I've seen like, oh, well, we had a one percent currency, you know, loss, and, and the stocks get killed on that. You know, if, oh, we had a forty percent currency loss, um, <laughs> ouch. But and, and by the way, there are no liabilities in that currency that I know of that Tesla holds on their balance sheet, right? <laughs> there are no liabilities. They're denominated in Bitcoin. Right. Well, you know that. You know the problem with with Tesla, though. I mean, let's just—they may have a demand problem coming, and they—they've—they've they've had four or five uh, quarters in a row with positive earnings, and if you strip out the emissions credits, which uh, you, you would you would have a net loss, so it's really somewhat of a show me stock. And if they can report earnings that are actually higher quality, and that to me is going to be the make or break with Tesla, and and we'll probably know closer to August uh, when they report. Now Amazon, okay, Amazon's been a great uh, stay at home stock. Uh, they're They've diversified. Obviously, they they have uh, AWS, which is an incredible asset, and it's their profit, you know, uh, center. And they have Whole Foods, which is which is fine. It's nice. It's good. Um, it, I don't think it's really moving the needle for them, but it's it's a good way for them to be on everybody's mind all the time. And they're going to buy MGM for $9 billion. Now, I used to be a media analyst and a trader. And I remember when Disney would buy Pixar or some of these others, Marvel. 
and they, they overpaid for it. They never paid, I think, 25 times um, for this, uh, for MGM or Marvel and the other ones. This is expensive. It's probably worth $6 billion, but I'll, I'll tell you this. The one thing about Hollywood, which Bezos is basically Hollywood. He's, you know, bought a big house, the biggest of the biggest houses in Beverly Hills, the Warner Estate. And he's kind of got that Hollywood vibe going. And, and Hollywood people are, have the biggest freaking egos ever. And they will pay up to get whatever they want. And I remember that back in the day when when they when Paramount was in play and Viacom ended up getting them. Barry Diller was involved in that one. I also think that there's going to be a consolidation in the media play. So I'm long Viacom. I think that is a like fantastic, very cheap asset. And I I think maybe Comcast could buy them. It's it's a bit they're take they'd be taking on a lot of debt to do that. Um, but maybe Apple, you know, they have buying Apple a, Plus. Buying a studio? Yeah, you know, and, and a catalog. Paramount is is awesome. And they, they have so much content. And Apple Plus is awful. I mean, I there's nothing on Apple Plus that I really can say, oh, I'm going to, I've got to get Apple Plus. Uh, I've, I've watched a few. Ted I love Ted Lasso. Okay, right. But it's limited, right? There, it's a number. It's limited. To... it's limited. So they need more content, and they need to diversify. Apple could tuck Viacom in with no, no problem at all. And they've got great management now. Uh, they're not buying back stock like idiots in the past. Um, well, does does Jeff moving to to buy MGM push them in that direction? I mean, he's you know even if it's he, you're saying it's worth six, he's paying nine. Strategically, he may think that that works as a premium for him based on the you know they're printing money right now. So why wouldn't they want to get before it gets even more overbid, overheated? You never know who you're competing with in the future. Apple certainly would be on my radar screen if I were Amazon. Yeah. So. You know, these things come in waves, and usually they come at tops as well uh, when right. you get these ego-driven uh, M&A things. Um, so, look, I, I, you could, Those of us who are old enough to remember AOL Time Warner. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just, oh, we got to we, – yeah, that, that was a disaster. But the bottom line is it's a land grab. And I think, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Discovery and HBO, CNN, the Time Warner stuff – I mean that's a disaster with what with what's happening there because AT&T way way overpaid for that and they just couldn't monetize it properly and you know that's another one that I always thought that uh, I didn't really expect discovery to do that one but you know and we'll see if this really goes through but Viacom's the one you you can own that one uh, it's it's Fairly low risk unless Bill Wang gets out of, you know, he comes back. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen there? But the problem is also you, you have a ton of stock that people bought in the 40s, and we really got to get above that level to break out and, because there's a bunch of overhead supply. But I, I like that one on the long side. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
Yeah. Hey, Tom, let me tie this all back together. We talked uh, crypto at the beginning. We talked about uh, some sort of deep strategic thinking on equities. The union point on those two is the meme stocks. Uh, we have a question coming to us today uh, about GME uh, suddenly getting active again. What are your thoughts there? Mm. Okay. So I'm short a little GME. I, I bought a little, or I shorted a little uh, last week. It's It's run me over. Uh, I have the ability, though, to add more because I bought the smallest amount I possibly could just to get a marker on there. And I had a profit in it for a while, and I, I sort of let this thing in the last couple of days go up. I, I don't see this stock as, as sustainable at this this place. And there's certainly not the same amount of short interest in this thing. I'm, you know, trust me, I'm not going to, you know, get squeezed through this uh, like, oh my God, this is the worst thing in the world. But I will probably short more uh, at some point. Yeah, his last words. <laughs> By the way, that question comes to us uh, from Scub Factory. Scub Factory on the GME question. Uh, by the way, I saw an amusing one coming through. Uh, Girdgley uh, suggesting that we can uh, plot the entertainment industry executives' egos on log charts only. Yeah. Oh my God. It's. Yeah. It's. Um, it's crazy what they will pay, and they'll get in bidding wars. And I mean, we we saw it with with uh, what was it Fox, and uh, when Fox was selling out uh, some stuff, and Comcast. Who was the other one? I forgot. But anyway, they, it it just it, it gets weird, and they just don't care. And they it's a land grab, and it's prime real estate. I mean, I I I kind of know Mario Gabelli. I mean, you know, it's not like a, hey Mario, but I you know I see him around. Um, my neighborhood. And, and he, he's always said that, you know, Viacom is water waterfront property and they're not making waterfront property anymore. And except Barry Diller is with his new island. I forgot, but That's uh, right. it's true. Um, Very true. So sorry, I, I take that back. But the bottom line is it's, mm -hmm. it's great assets. There are great assets there. And um, I think, I think they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. Maybe yeah. you know, maybe uh, maybe Apple. I, I would I would tell Apple to buy them. You, you load up your Apple Plus. Uh, it's Paramount Plus, I think. So it'd be very simple to add the plus. Maybe for once, Tommy, the, the thought of the concept, the spin that bankers give about synergies, uh, maybe it actually happens this time when you totally radically alter, improve, change the distribution network, and you have the ability to go direct uh, into homes in a way that we've really never had before. I'd say it's a question mark, but it's not hard to understand uh, why Apple, especially in the wake of this potential uh, deal from Amazon, uh, might want to think about doing that. Well, okay, so investment bankers, they have this addition that, that they use. It's one plus one equals one. But that makes total sense for them, and they've got to, you know, the, the end of the year is coming, and they've got to put these deals together. They've got bonuses to make, and they're going to jam some garbage together. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of M&A going into the towards the end of the year. I mean, look, they they they're missing out. You know, they they want to get a new Hamptons house or re you know redo it or, or get something. And by the way, I also think that house prices. Are starting to get a little toppy. 
Especially it's it's double-digit gains month after month yeah. after month going back to November. It's like six months of these. New ones out today, I believe. Yeah, the, the problem with the uh, home sales numbers that are coming out, the existing home sales, there's no inventory. And that's what's keeping the prices higher. But I'm starting to see, I, I follow the real estate market in Fairfield County, and I'm starting to see prices moderate a little bit. or And some actually come down. Some are staying on the market a little longer. And, you know, that maybe the best ones have already been taken. So I think that you could see, you know, with the reopening and people going back to New York City. I mean, right? People are all over New York City having a great time, masks off, in bars, restaurants, right? That's where you're going right after this show, right? They're literally dancing in the streets. I've physically seen people dancing in the streets uh, on Saturday nights. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely happening. The opening is uh, is here. It's real. People are coming back. Also, I should say, uh, new inventory presumably coming back up on market as construction ramps up. Uh, a lot of the capacity constraints with uh, social distancing and mask wearing and stuff uh, starting to come offline, meaning more can more construction, uh, hopefully more inventory coming online. Tom, I should say, you know, these bankers with their with their funny arithmetic, those are like those are your neighbors. Yeah, I, I know a couple of them. I mean, they they, <laughs> you know, they've got they've got public or private schools and stuff that they've got to you know keep going here. But look, I, I think you're you're. I mean, just going back to New York City, um, I, I think it's it's so great to see people out and about. Restaurants are buzzing. Yeah, you. I was on open table, and I was trying to get a, a reservation, and it, it was like, oh yeah, we can take you at five or ten thirty. Now I, I I could probably do five because you know I I kind of like eating early and you know I'm an early early to bed type guy, but like come on, you know I can't, there's no seven o'clock reservation anywhere, nowhere. I tried to make a reservation on Mother's Day. And they were oh. charging twenty five bucks a head uh, at some restaurants to make the reservation before you got booked. Yeah, I mean, I, it's I completely I, insane. I did a uh, yeah, I, I sort of tried to get Mother's Day reservations uh, someplace here, and it was like no, no. But it's you know things are open more now. Um, I've I've gone to restaurants, no mask. Let's go, let's have fun, and you know that's you know we deserve it. We've all been cramped in our, our houses and apartments and working from home. And I saw David Costin uh, was on TV on Bloomberg today, and he said it was the first day everybody's back at Goldman Sachs. That's nice. Today? Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. And, you know, there's going to be a, it's going to be a change because you can work for, from home. And a lot of these investment bankers can do Zoom calls from the office. So there's going to be a difference in travel, uh, business travel. So yeah. I'm looking at some of the um, airlines up on the day, outperforming the indices. Yeah, they'll be down tomorrow. Everything's like up or down. It's like a flip flop. It's just it, it, it's so hard to get a couple days in a row of something working. I mean, it's just like oh, it's up. Then next day, wham, right in my face. You know, everyone's well, like, oh, we. Well, I'm glad we had the opportunity to do a very sort of strategic Real Vision daily briefing to think about this on a kind of quiet day in markets. By the way, I have to say, I've been looking at the comments. I see a huge amount of love for Tom Thornton coming over the comments uh, for the last uh, 25 minutes or so. Um, so let's uh, check some mail. 
<laughs> Let's sum it up here, because um, I know we've run a little bit long. Give us your final thoughts, all the topics we've discussed today, the big picture, where you think we're at, where you think you're going, we're going, and what you're going to be watching as we get there. Okay. I, I think we're still going to be range-bound for a while, uh, unless there's some catalyst or some real negative uh, facet that comes in. And, and that could be you know, the, the stimulus, uh, could be the Fed. I think the Fed is trying to think about thinking about doing some sort of change in policy. I think the June 4th, if it's that of Friday, uh, that jobs number is going to be epic. I mean, it was terrible, relatively speaking, of what people expected last time. And I think the data is going to come in real hot, and I think the Fed's going to have to make a move, and they're going to have to signal that they're thinking about it. Mm. So maybe at Jackson Hole, they'll say, okay, we're, here's our plan. Maybe too late. Maybe too late, and the market might start to wane a bit. So my view is that it's kind of a boring market, honestly. Sometimes it's better to do very little. Uh, but just, you know, get ready. I mean, I think we could see if we get a pullback, 5%, 10%. I've been saying 39.50. we get that, I think you can put some money to work in some good solid places. I like energy. I like financials. There's some tech. I'm, t I'm long some tech right now, which is crazy. So, uh, you know, just, just sit tight, go out, go to a restaurant, support the restaurants, have fun. And enjoy your life this summer. Tom, as always, very well said, very succinctly said at the end, uh, and you're not afraid to take a position. Always appreciate that here on Real Vision. Well, thanks, Ash. Tom Thornton, thanks for joining us, and thank you for watching, everyone. Liberty's leave policy was tremendous. Having the ability to take 16 weeks off, fully paid to bond with my child, was an incredible experience. At Liberty Mutual, you can find a career that supports you at every step, even baby steps. We offer up to 16 weeks parental leave for new moms and dads. And because not everyone's pathway to parenthood looks the same, we offer robust fertility, surrogacy, and adoption benefits too. Learn more at LibertyMutualCareers.com and pursue your tomorrow today.